Hello, I'm Ken Root. In 1994, a small group of us started working toward the introduction of AgriTalk as a daily one-hour program addressing rural issues. The show you're about to hear was our third day on the air. It addressed rural health care in a pivotal time. We spoke to the administrator of Herzler Clinic in Halstead, Kansas, and one of their cardiologists. We spoke to the administrator of Grinnell Medical Center in Iowa, and 91-year-old Virginia Ramsdell from South Dakota. Along with our callers, we had a lively discussion of access to health care in rural America, the cost of health care, and associated issues. This was 15 years before Obamacare was passed, and at a time when we were trying to figure out how much health care the government and individuals would pay for. Near the end of the show, I talked with Mike Hergert, the farm broadcaster at KKXL Radio in Grand Forks, North Dakota. He told me about the productivity of the Red River Valley of the North and brought up the challenges with Canadian grain coming into the United States and depressing prices. He also mentioned a Clinton-era program that was supposed to solve trade problems in North America. It was called NAFTA. Here is AgriTalk from August 3rd, 1994. This is AgriTalk, a national radio talk show dealing with issues of rural America. I'm Ken Root. The health care debate has centered on insurance, but in rural America, the question is access to quality health care, whether you are insured or not. If you live in a small community, there may be a shortage of doctors and medical facilities. Today, we will present you with the hospital administrators and doctors who are trying to provide rural people with health care. And tomorrow, we will talk live with Kansas Senator Bob Dole about the blitz of bills now in the U.S. Senate that will become the U.S. health care policy in the near future. We're ready to take your phone calls on the rural side of the health care issue. 800-794-8255. That's 800-794-TALK on AgriTalk. Information you want and the voice you need. This is AgriTalk. I'm Ken Root. Our phone number is 800-794-8255. The year was 1895 in the west-central Kansas town of Halstead. A young doctor arrives on the day after a tornado destroys the town. Dr. A.E. Hertzler set up a clinic and began a life of service to rural residents. He was known as the horse and buggy doctor, and legend has it that in the middle of the night, he would drive out, treat a patient, and then sleep in the buggy since the horse knew the way home. Dr. Hertzler opened a hospital in 1902. He put in a modern hospital with a tile floor operating room and he ran it in the same manner, along with his practice, until 1933 when he sold it to the Sisters of St. Joseph for $1. Today, Halstead Hospital and Herzler Clinic are owned by the Paracelsus Healthcare Corporation. And with that background, now joining us is their administrator, Jeff Feeney. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Ken. It's good to be with you today. That's quite a history to have to live up to. Yes, sir. It's it's quite a legacy. I um, came upon this uh, facility... uh, number of months ago and uh, just couldn't quite figure out uh, what was really going on in this small town and it took a 
a trip up here from South Florida, where I've been for a number of years, to uh, to see what a tremendous, uh, unique organization that exists up here, and was certainly uh, uh, sufficiently excited that uh, brought my family up here and have uh, just had a tremendous relationship here with the people, and uh, trying to do our best here to. Uh, carry on the tradition that has gone on for uh, generations here. Do you still try to focus then on rural people? Oh, very much so, Ken. It's, it's very interesting that we find ourselves in a small town of only 2,000 people, approximately 20 miles outside of uh, Wichita, Kansas, and um, to my amazement, this is a facility that uh, could service uh, a town of probably 100,000, but yet with only 2,000 people here, you say to yourself, where do all these people come from? And to my own amazement, uh, our customers uh, come from uh, throughout the state of Kansas, uh, the northern half of Oklahoma, as well as Colorado. So it's a quite unique experience that we have here. Well, now you have a hospital that is apparently doing well and drawing from a large area. But there are hospitals in rural areas that don't seem to be doing well at this time. Some have even closed. Uh, do you feel like that uh, many rural hospitals are at risk? I think increasingly that will be the case. Uh, two reasons for that. One, uh, the maldistribution of physicians that we have across the country. I think you read all the uh, magazines that uh, in the popular press that talk about the physicians and too many physicians in some locations and not enough in others. I think what we find ourselves in is a is a generation of physicians um, in this baby boomer generation that uh, uh, have themselves, by and large, attracted to large metropolitan areas. They want culture. They want the things that they've been accustomed to in medical school. Uh, while there are a number of people who, uh, frankly, had been raised in rural locations, have gone to medical school and have... Uh, a desire to go back to their roots, uh, the uh, inordinate number of physicians uh, do gravitate to uh, areas of culture and diversity and, and uh, clinical stimulation, if you will. That has really placed a, a great amount of pressure on those remaining physicians who have been in their towns for years and decades, frankly, and are now seeing their careers coming to an end and, and find no one... Uh, in place, if you will, to uh, to take up from where these folks leave off, and that has uh, we I have seen in just the few months that I've been here, a number of physicians retire, and uh, all of a sudden their patients are sent letters saying that I'm leaving uh, town, uh, and uh, you will have to uh, travel uh, an inordinate distance to uh, seek another physician. So that is really uh, causing problems. Also, the other primary problem is is one of how people are how physicians uh, are being uh, paid uh, for the work that they do let me uh, quickly give our phone number it is 800-794-8255 this is agritalk 800-794-8255 physicians uh, are uh, paid fairly handsomely in the urban areas can they expect to receive as much in a rural community uh no sir Medicare program is predicated upon uh, various uh, formulas that uh, in part take into consideration uh, the geographic locale, the cost of living uh, in that locale based on uh, certain um, SMSA uh, indicators, average wage rates, etc. So 
for an identical uh, procedure, if you will, let's say an office visit, Ken, uh, a person practicing out in uh, rural America, rural Kansas, if you will, may may receive uh, $35 from, uh, from Medicare, if you will, while that same office visit uh, down in South Florida may be at least twice that. So there is gr- a great disparity, uh, and and again, that uh, is a uh, an impediment to attracting young, well-trained uh, physicians out into these rural areas where care is needed so desperately. Well, do you have any way by which the hospital, a uh, high-tech hospital like I understand yours is, and the doctor who's out there who doesn't uh, have a large base but still has a need for the kind of services you have. Is there a way that the two of you can link together to improve the quality of this health care? Well, that, certainly that's been the goal of our facility, Ken. Uh, we see as our customers the, the physicians in these rural areas. We understand and try to continue to be sensitive to the fact that the only way in which these physicians will be able to uh, continue their, frankly, their vocation is to provide them with the assistance and the wherewithal to minimize uh, the need for these physicians to provide everything uh, in their own offices. How do you go about doing that? What we do, Ken, is we have a series of, of things that, that, that we try to uh, make available to these physicians. One, we have a number of our own specialists uh, traverse the state uh, on a continuous basis to provide uh, specialty clinics uh, for these physicians. What this does is that this makes the uh, physician in the outlying areas a better practitioner in the eyes of their patients. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do everything that we can to make these people successful and prosperous. And we're doing this by, again, as I mentioned, having the physician, our physicians go out there by providing them with technical uh, assistance in terms of hardware, in terms of computers. We have a, uh, a uh, fleet of vans that traverse the state as well, bringing these patients uh, to Halstead to have these specialty uh, diagnostic tests and procedures uh, done. This is uh, a, a, a great convenience to the patients, but it also makes the physicians in these outlying areas uh, so respected, again, and attractive in the eyes of their uh, patients. And what it does is that it continues uh, the livelihood, frankly, of, of these physicians well, in these outlying areas. Jeff, no one wants to have second-rate health care. We have first-rate of everything else now in rural America due to the infrastructure we have, and we want to talk with a doctor later on about how to keep the good doctors in rural America, if at all possible. One of the things I'm noticing is that this is an aging country, that no one seems to be talking about an exploding birth rate. We're realizing that we have a rising number, though, of people who are retired and people who are living longer and that that life hopefully can be good if you have good health care available to you. We're going to talk with a wonderful lady who is 92 today in a moment, and we'll talk with you on Agritalk at 800-794-8255. Information you want and the voice you need. This is AgriTalk. I'm Ken Root. We'd like to have your opinion on the quality and quantity of health care that is available to you in rural America. Our number is 800-794-8255, and the health care issue is what we're discussing today. Virginia Kelly Ramsdahl has been a resident of South Dakota all of her life, and her life 
has been this century. I was born in 1902. What year do you recall that you first have memories of your life? I really remember mostly about when my brother was in the First World War. And they had the flu, that you know, that bad flu. And uh-huh. so that would have been in 1917. Yes. And uh, your brother was in the war. He was in the First World War. And uh-huh. I know we had to mail him uh, packages, you know, mm-hmm. early in October, I think. Well, now, the, the 1920s, they were supposedly a time that was very good, and obviously you have memories of the 1920s. I was married in 1920. What can you tell me about the, the supposed good times of the 1920s? Well, they didn't get bad until 1921, and there was, you see, we went out on the farm. And uh, when my husband came back, why, uh, we, went out, he, we went out on the farm. And when we went out, it seemed to be pretty good. But that fall, it wasn't so good. I think there must have been a slump around 21 or 22. Do you recall the social life of the 1920s? They called it the Roaring Twenties. Was it there in South Dakota where you lived? Well, no, but I remembered we had it in high school. Mm-hmm. I know we had is we danced to Lawrence Welk down here at the pavilion. Well, tell, tell me how you met your husband. Tell me about that. Uh, I was to, we were to a dance, and he was still in uniform, and my brother introduced him to me. And uh, he called up the next night, and we went, and then when, the next year we were married. Do you remember the, uh, the difficult times of the Depression? Oh, I sure do. What's, In fact, I made my daughter's dress out of flower sacks. They were pretty, though. We we had wonderful crops, but we couldn't sell them. We had a good farm, and you couldn't sell corn or anything like that. What's your opinion of what's uh, what they're doing in Washington at this time? You know, I'm in a nursing home, mm-hmm. and the girls here are very nice, and many of them work with children and have... A girl this morning told me how she just made a living. She couldn't afford any insurance. She didn't have insurance. And uh, she works hard, too. But she says when she pays her insurance on her car and her car payments and her rent, she has no money left. She says she couldn't even afford. She needs some expensive medicine. She says, I can't afford it. But she works very hard. Do you believe that the uh, the president's health care bill will pass this year? Well, I don't know. They don't want it to pass because they think they'll get more Republicans into the uh, into Congress and they can defeat it. Well, I, but I know they got to do something. I wouldn't have known it if I wasn't here among the girls at work. Well, do you feel that uh, America's going to hell in a handbasket here or that we have some strengths that we can hold on to? Oh, we can, yeah. I remember when we used to dance at Charleston, they thought we were going crazy, too. Oh, I think it'll swing around. Probably these children will be stricter than their parents were. Yes, that's possibly true. Well, Mrs. Ramstall, we want to wish you a happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Do you have children? 
Yes, I have, uh, I have two teenagers, and I'm very worried about them myself for the same reasons you are, that I'm not sure the values that came to me I've been able to pass on to them. I do, too, and I tell Scott, I remember when he was a teenager, too, so hell, so it'll probably turn out all right. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good hope, and we appreciate you talking with us today. Yes. All right, take care of yourself. Okay, thank Alrighty. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Jeff, a remarkable lady uh, in a nursing home, and I think that we can witness there the viability of people long into their lives. Are you seeing an increase in demand for elderly care? Well, Ken, there, there, there's no question about it. I've been uh, involved in this um, uh, voc- avocation or vocation, rather, uh, for about 16, 18 years. And uh, uh, with each year and, and, frankly, within the last uh, handful of years, uh, we're seeing more and more uh, people like Virginia, people who are very sturdy, people who have uh, grown up with uh, good health habits, and find themselves uh, in a circumstance where uh, living another 10, 15 years is, while we would have thought it folly years ago, is, is really not unreasonable. And uh, we're seeing, again, with, um, goodness, this technology that we have, that people can come in and have their uh, knee joints and hip joints uh, repaired. And uh, we just find that uh, people have... Uh, uh, much more uh, life in them, uh, literally. However, uh, what this has done, though, is that it has has created another need, and that is uh, a facility that is somewhat structured that these people can can be sheltered, where there are uh, there is assistance to uh, to provide to these folks when they need it. And and when you get up in years, as as people like Virginia are, it's it's something that uh, you always need to be somewhat close to having someone around. And with the uh, the family being dispersed as as it has in, in these past uh, years and decades, that uh, we're seeing in, in, in our field more and more uh, facilities sprouting up that, that meets this increasing demand. And, and, right. and I can only say, again, as as a part of the baby boomer generation, certainly in the next 20 years or 30 years, whatever, when I find myself in Virginia's circumstance, that uh, there will be almost cities uh, sprouting up like uh, exist down in Arizona and and elsewhere. Jeff, uh, uh, let's go to a phone call here from Rosemary in Kansas. Rosemary, good morning. You're on the line with us. Your question, please. Well, uh, I hear a lot about mandated employer uh, pay mm-hmm. for health insurance, health care. I'm sure you And will. I don't hear much said about the self-employed people, such as farmers and, and so on. And I would just like to have that addressed. All right. Because uh, in our area, we have difficulty getting doctors. Everyone seems to think that we're out beyond the beyond. How far from a major city are you, Rosemary? We're about 200 miles from Denver and probably 350 from Wichita. And uh, So you're so a long ways from any health care. Do you have a doctor locally? We have one that has just recently come in. I haven't met her yet. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see if we can discuss this in the last couple of minutes that we have left. We haven't talked about cost, Jeff, as of yet, and definitely people are interested in that. And perhaps you can uh, discuss uh, the potential of... Uh, of our self-employed people going to be able to uh, uh, have anybody assist them if they can't pay their own insurance bills? Well, right now, Ken, we've we've got a circumstance where um, th- 
the government has has uh, mandated in the mid-80s that uh, everyone who needs care and who comes to a hospital emergency room, for instance, uh, will have access to care. And, and hospitals who participate in federal health care programs, i.e. Medicare, that which is what we're most familiar with, uh, have an obligation uh, to take care of these folks. However, when you are in a, a an area such as your collar, when you're uh, a great distance away from, from different uh, facilities, then it does become very difficult. What you need to do is to uh, call uh, a city uh, closest to uh, where you are and, and seek some assistance for physicians. Now, in our circumstance, we have a network of physicians that span Kansas that, are, that we are affiliated with that if your caller wishes to uh, contact us, uh, we could provide them with assistance to get them uh, integrated with a physician. And, and that program is called our Medical program. And for your listeners, if they were to call 1-800-475-1651, we have trained nursing okay. personnel available to uh, field calls from these people who find themselves in a real predicament without a physician, and we have a network of physicians that, again, span a large Jeff, area. got to interrupt you here. Yes, Thank sir. you very much for your time with us. We'll continue with AgriTalk in the second half hour. This is information you want and the voice you need. Now back to AgriTalk with your host, Ken Root. Hello, everyone. We're talking about health care on a national radio talk show dealing with the issues of rural America. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily represent those of our management, our advertisers, or our radio station affiliates, but they do represent you. Our phone number is 800-794-8255. Today, we're talking about the issues of access in rural health care. Tomorrow, with Senator Bob Dole live with us tomorrow morning, we'll be talking about the availability of insurance for everyone Senator Dole, Senator Mitchell, and House Majority Leader Gephardt all have bills in front of Congress. President Clinton tonight will have a press conference. He'll have a uh, talk with the nation about his point of view. All this come to a head tomorrow morning with Senator Dole, so we hope you'll join us for that. Back with Jeff Feeney, the uh, administrator of Halstead Hospital. Jeff, I wanted to thank you for the time you've spent with us. This is a big issue, and I'm sure it's one that's going to continue to become more controversial as the year goes on. Well, we have Jeff with us. This yes, morning. sir. Jeff, uh, this issue this morning, uh, we thank you for being with us, and we're sure this is going to become more controversial as time goes on. I I, I agree. It's uh, we have a problem of uh, a lot of people and a lot of challenges, and the government's uh, trying to do their best, but uh, um, it's it's just going to be a challenge, and all we can do is the best that we can do. You have. Uh, Dr. Norvin Parr there with you yeah. as a cardiologist who's chosen to move to a rural area, and I'd like to speak with him for a moment. Also, we'd like to bring Rosemary back on the line with us because we didn't really get deep enough into her question, her feeling. And so, uh, Dr. Parr, good morning to you. Good morning. Dr. Dr. Parr, good morning. Good morning. Now, how long have you been with the Herzler Clinic? I've been here since January of this year. And you came from where? Uh, near Seattle, Washington, a smaller town outside of Seattle, Everett, Washington. All right, before you uh, give us the reasons why you came there, Rosemary, you're back on the air with AgriTalk. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I, my question, of course, or I really would like to have it addressed, is uh, self-employed insurance access. 
as well as employee pay. I haven't heard a great deal about the uh, how the self-employed employed people would have their insurance handled. Now, as for health care, we do have specialists that fly in from Denver and various other places in our area. We don't have a lack of health care, but the problem is health care, I feel, should not be handled on an emergency room basis. All right. Dr. Park, and and, you, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rosemary. That does create problems. We have PAs, but there have been, I have known of situations where they felt they really needed a physician there and where we're probably, well, could be 75, 80 miles in, to a physician. Sure. And that has created problems. I understand that. Uh, Dr. Parr, let's let you address that, if you would, please. Yes, uh, physicians need to be close to patients, it appears to me. Yes, absolutely. I think that there, there are several facets to uh, Rosemary's question. Uh, first of all, the question about how do self-employed people become insured under new proposed health care systems. And I think that uh, that is a raging controversy in our Congress right now. The various proposals have gone anywhere from making everybody basically responsible for their own to uh, a, federal, a federal subsidy. Now, my understanding is the thing that is most likely to pass, and believe me, I'm sure Dr. Uh, I'm sorry, Senator Dole will give you a better view of this than, than my own understanding. But uh, there is a lot of, most of the bills seem to have a, a, a provision for federal subsidy for small businesses, and I would assume that that would include self-employed, you know, which is a business of one right. many times. Uh, I think it, it is a, a major problem because most of the businesses in our country are small businesses. And, um, of course, these people need access just like everybody else. Um, Why did you come to uh, a, a rural area from a larger city? What were your reasons? Um, I like the style of life better. I like the country here. I like being able to uh, walk to work. I like the, the people that I meet. I think there are lots of reasons. The same reasons that people like to live in a rural area or, or smaller communities, they're all the same as why you might want to uh, work there. What's the negatives for you, though? Uh, negatives. Well, I have to drive 10 miles to go to a movie theater, and that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> you have to drive 10 miles in a lot of cities to go to a movie theater. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I'm saying there's not a tremendous number, amount of negatives. Let's go to uh, let's go to Roy in North Dakota. Roy, you're on the air uh, with Dr. Parr. Yeah, I'd like to make a little remark here about this health care bit that they're going through with. What they should be doing, this is my opinion, mm-hmm. is check to see how much uh, insurance you are covered with. Like my wife is paying a consider- considerable amount premium for the $500 deductible when she goes to the clinic rarely, but then they go to work and they she has to pay and uh, they pay probably $0.60 cents out of a $64 clinic call. And uh, I think that more people don't need the insurance. Those that have it should be thoroughly covered with it because we pay through the nose. So you're saying that insurance costs are high enough now, but they should cover everything when you go to the doctor? Correct. All right. Dr. Parr, the cost again rises up. People think they're paying too much for insurance now. Uh, and yet we see a spiraling increase in medical costs. Uh, is there any way that uh, you can uh, address Roy's uh, uh, conditions uh, for what he claims is 
paying enough already? Well, you know, that is obviously the tough question that's facing our country right now, and that is how much should we pay for health care, and what level of health care should we expect? Going back to Rosemary's question about the uh, availability of physicians in her own community, uh, one of the problems, of course, is that the actual amount of, say, in my own case, I'm a cardiologist, the amount of heart disease that might be present in a community of a thousand people is relatively small and would not keep a cardiologist very busy. And the amount of cardiology that is available for me to do in, in 20 communities of a thousand is enough to keep me busy. And so I think for specialty and subspecialty services, we will continue to see referral centers. That's what we're trying to do here in Halstead, Kansas, and well, in fact what we've done for many years. How do people decide, though, that they only want a certain level of health care? How does their family decide that? Because if you have the money, it appears that you're going to spend it if you're sick because you want to get well. That's exactly right. Now, as you know, the state of Oregon has proposed a system, and they're implementing it now, where different diagnoses are given priorities. And they have a list of things that will be covered, and then some very high-cost items that are not covered through their state insurance plan. Okay, uh, Roy, go like, ahead. I think that the doctors and the hospitals, it's true enough, I can't do their work. But I think they're charging too much for what they're doing because what I do, I'd like to see a doctor come out, and he can't do my work either, but I can't charge them $60 a minute. So you don't think there's a parity involved here? No. Okay, Roy, thank you very much for your no, question okay, this thank morning. thank you. Dr. Parr? Yes, sir, I'm looking for that job where I get my $60 a minute, too. Well, there used to be the joke about the plumber that said that's how what I charged back when I was a doctor, but it uh, it is a situation where that you wind up with people who question what the cost of health care is because they can't define it except when they get that doctor bill that has all those charges for every possible item, hospital bill primarily, that runs that price way up, and they wonder why is it so expensive. Yeah, and I think the answer to that is, is that um, compared to what we could do when I first started practicing medicine in 1969, uh, compared to 1994, it's night and day. I mean, we've seen the death rate from cardiac disease drop by over 25% in our country in the last 10 years, but that has a cost. Um, to me, uh, if we totally eliminated the insurance considerations, I could talk to a patient and say, you need to have a bypass. And by the way, I'm not a surgeon, so I don't do this, but um, the cost of it may be $20,000. Now, what would you rather do, trade in your four-year-old car and buy another $20,000 car, or could you make that car last another two or three years and have your bypass surgery instead? And I think that's the same thing that we're talking about with our national health plan. Right, so it's definitely a matter of choice as what that they have to decide that they want to pay for. Exactly. All right, Dr. Parr, thank you very much for being with us today. We appreciate you uh, coming on the show with us. We'd like to talk perhaps to you again at another time on practicing in a rural area. In a moment, we're going to talk about you, possibly you living in an assisted care community. On AgriTalk, information you want and the voice you need. This is AgriTalk at 800-794-TALK. Our issue today is rural health care, the availability of it. As joining us now from Grinnell, Iowa, is the administrator of their regional medical center, Todd Linden. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, Ken. Tell me, the demographics show that uh, people are living longer. We talked to Virginia Ramsdell earlier. Obviously, they're in good mental health uh, as far as their faculties about them, but they need more health care when they live to a longer uh, longer age. 
Um, is there a way that we can address this uh, through the whole uh, structure of the medical community? Well, I think that's the real challenge for us today, Ken, is for healthcare organizations, hospitals, and other providers of healthcare to look at providing a more seamless continuum of care for the residents. State of Iowa is a bit unusual, obviously, in the heartland, and uh, and yet um, very much a rural community um, with the number one population per capita of people 80 and older. We're third in the country, only behind Florida and Arizona for 65 and older per capita. Yeah, you're so, saying that you have more people over 80 in Iowa as a percentage than any other state in America. Exactly right. In fact, we have more 100-year-old and older folks um, in real numbers than any place else in the country. So you should uh, move to Iowa and live longer. <laughs> well, there there may be something there uh, in terms of the quality of life. But the, the, the point comes in that clearly uh, we have to change as health care providers. Um, Folks that are 80 and older have different needs, and uh, one of the things that we have to do is, is look at our full continuum of care, everything from obviously maintaining quality acute care inpatient um, at the hospital, but we've got to look outside our four walls, um, the outpatient services, the home health services, working with our uh, area nursing homes or providing nursing care ourselves, um, and then even further, looking at assisted living and retirement living. Um, all of those are, are part of the challenge that a rural health care provider needs to look at um, because the reason we exist is to meet the needs of our community. Well, several a few years ago, you were in Greene County, uh, Jefferson, Iowa. I'd like to have you tell us about what you set up there that uh, for the people you're talking about in assisted living. Well, again, the real key is to continue to develop that full continuum uh, for a health care provider to stay viable. They've got to meet needs. And one of the needs we had in, in Greene County was to provide um, uh, a level of, of living quality that um, folks weren't able to maintain in their independent residence. And so we created a, a, a program called Evergreen Ridge and is really a, a large um, complex, about a 40,000-square-foot, 33-unit apartment building, if you will, but specifically designed for older folks and uh, invited them to live there, um, maintain their own freedom and independence in their own their own apartment, but share in some of the other services that a health care provider um, is capable of, of providing. And uh, we were very successful in, in creating an environment where folks could come and keep their freedom and independence and yet rely on each other uh, for social uh, opportunities, uh, for having health care security, a hospital right nearby, um, with uh, nursing care available um, to provide um, some assistance with meals. Um, and, and again, the, the, the simple truth is folks want to be in their own space. They want to maintain their freedom, their independence, their autonomy as long as possible. And, and we believe this sort of project allows people to do that. Would you call this economic development and uh, elderly care all combined in one? Absolutely. When you, when you look at a rural health care provider, Obviously, the access that you're talking about this morning is critical. People need the access to health care, emergency care right through to acute care, outpatient care, et cetera. But they also recognize that a rural health care provider is usually a large employer in our rural communities. Um, they're a large purchaser of local goods and services. Um, and we're vital to keeping and maintaining and attracting new business and industry to communities. And so um, the health care provider is critical from an economic standpoint as well. Todd, and, uh, Todd what about poor people? Uh, are poor people going to be able to move into places like you're describing uh, 
or are they only going to be for the people who have had enough money of their own that they can put in to pay for it? Do you think that future in the future that the health care program may pay for poor people living in an area you've described? Well, as, as has already been discussed on your program this morning, there's an awful lot of debate in Washington about exactly what the health care program will or won't do and how much we can afford to do. Um, from a housing perspective, um, there have been quite a few programs already in place for subsidized programs through HUD and others. Um, in Jefferson, for example, where I was, there was a, a pretty good um, level of support for folks living in, in HUD projects, in low-income elderly housing projects. Where the market was missing was that in the middle or upper income, um, you couldn't qualify to be in a in an elderly housing. Um, so, so that was that was the gap that we filled with that particular project. Oh, gotcha. So the the lower level were taken care of, uh, and the higher level were open. There was no place for them to go. So you provided access. Correct. Todd, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Todd Linden, who's the administrator of the Grinnell Medical Center in Grinnell, Iowa, formerly at Greene County, and set up a hospital or set up an elderly care area for them. When we come back in a moment, we'll give you a little bit about Senator Dole coming on tomorrow, and we'll talk with one of our affiliates up in the Red River Valley of the North. This is AgriTalk, information you want and the voice you need. This is AgriTalk, Ken Root, wrapping up our discussion on rural health care. Donna in Minnesota, you're on the line with us. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Tell me what you would like to say. Well, I just have a couple of comments uh, just from the area where I'm living in, in northwestern Minnesota. I feel as though we're quite fortunate up here. Uh, I'm out in the country. I'm 15 minutes from my local hospital and half an hour from a teaching university and an hour away from a cancer treatment center. And yet we're still having problems here getting doctors just within our local hospital. And uh, and also referring to those people out in western Kansas, I have friends out there, of course, that are, as uh, you alluded to earlier, that's 150 miles away. So there's definitely, a dis- you know... Um, a disparity, isn't there? Yeah, right. And, and their hospital insurance uh, is astronomical compared to ours. They're paying over $10,000 a year for two people, and yet we're like at $3,800. So I feel as so... though... The rates need to be changed. Uh, Medicare formulas need to be more fr- uh, fair. And uh, so I think we really need to be working on those areas. I totally agree, and I hope you'll be with us tomorrow and perhaps talk to Senator Dole regarding this, and we appreciate your view. You're listening to us this morning, we understand, on KKXL out of Grand Forks, North Dakota. Yes, right. All right. And on the line with us also is, thank you, Donna, very much, is Mike Hergert, who is the farm director at KKXL. Good morning. Thank you very much, Ken. Uh, how are you doing on well, Kansas City now? We're doing fine. Uh, you're the Red River Valley, but the Red River Valley of the North. Tell me a little bit. We'd like to know about your uh, the area around your station. What are the uh, what's the population and what's the major crops? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, the population uh, is a little bit limited. We we don't have a lot of uh, population, with the exception of uh, Fargo, Grand Forks, uh, Crookston, where uh, Donna, your previous caller, was from. But uh, we've got, in, in my opinion, some of the most progressive farmers anywhere in the world, uh, some of the best farmland. This uh, valley is, uh, is extremely rich. And our primary crops, I guess, uh, we've got wheat and barley everywhere as rotation crops, uh, unless, uh, you know, you can't raise uh, some of the, uh, the uh, row crops. But uh, I think the Red River Valley has become quite famous not only for its grain, but uh, sugar beets, potatoes, 
and of course uh, dry edible beans over the last uh, 30, 40 years. So well, uh, we, uh, while some people are fooled by uh, our productivity because we're this far north, uh, we can produce with anybody. We feel. I know that there are issues in your community, and you're a news person. You keep your ear to the ground. What are the major issues of the rural people in uh, North Dakota right now? I think, without a doubt, Ken, uh, for the last number of years, it's been the, the Canadian grain coming into this country. While we understand that uh, if you look at it uh, across the nation, we, we do export some corn into that country and, and a lot of agricultural products. This area, we feel, has really gotten hit uh, with taking a lot of their wheat, primarily Durham, and also barley. And, uh, of course, the big news the last two days has been this agreement between uh, the United States and Canada for one year. Uh, there's still differences of opinion on uh, what it is going to do, uh, what kind of protection it'll provide, but uh, I guess uh, somewhere in the middle, most people would say that at least we've gotten a start, maybe maybe we can uh, make it better uh, within the next year. Well, we're going to continue to talk with you on the issues that affect U.S. and Canadian farmers, also the overall NAFTA treaty and the overall GATT program as well. Thank you, Mike, very much for being with us this morning. Thanks, Ken. Coming up tomorrow, Senator Bob Dole says he'll be our guest. We'll have him tomorrow morning. We hope you'll join us with your question. This is AgriTalk. We're proud to be here on our first week. Information you want and the voice you need. This AgriTalk show aired on August 3, 1994. We could feel the times were changing, but we didn't know where things were really going. The decade, as you may remember, was the first after the fall of the Soviet Union. The first and only time the federal budget was balanced in the modern post-war era and the beginning of the North American Free Trade Agreement. The Trump administration realigned NAFTA but generally it remains intact from its 1990s beginnings. The 91-year-old lady we interviewed early in the show from South Dakota was a real firecracker. I knew her grandson, and they are a scrappy family to this day. Mrs. Ramsdell was the daughter of a U.S. representative from Dakota before the territory became two states. According to her grandson, when she moved to a nursing home and her house in Flandreau was vacant, a Russian translator and tour guide that he had met in the Soviet Union came to visit him. While there, she declared she was defecting. He moved her into Grandma Virginia's house, and she stayed there for several months as she worked to getting a green card and taking up residency in the United States. She's a wonderful lady. We've kept in contact with her. She later moved to Sioux Falls and remains there to this day. This is the latest of the vintage agritalks that we are bringing back. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do so and be notified of future episodes as they are released. If you'd like to make any comments to me, send them to kenroot at gmail.com. K-E-N-R-O-O-T at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.